Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Do you want to have the happiest birth experience of your life? Well, you can. It's entirely possible. And here's how you can do it. Anne Margolis of Home Sweet Home Birth has created the Love Your Birth course for you. Whether you're a first-time mom, an experienced mama, regardless of where you plan to birth, home, a hospital, birth center, or a planned or unplanned C-section, you really can have the delivery of your dreams. Love Your Birth is an obstetrician and midwife recommended online course that takes you from pregnancy to postpartum bliss. Now, Anne, a sweet friend of ours who was on the show in episode 24 titled Normal, Natural, and Joyful Birth, has over 20 years of experience in midwifery and gynecology practice. She is a powerhouse in the birthing community, and she has taken everything that she's learned, trained, and how she's supported women for over 20 years in her private practice. She's poured all of that love, passion, knowledge, and experience into creating the Love Your Birth course. And we are really excited at doing it at home to partner with Anne to offer our listeners, because we love you so much, $20 off when you purchase the course and use the code D-I-A-H-O-M-E. To get details and to sign up for the course, go to homesweethomebirth.com slash loveyourbirth. And remember, use that code D-I-A-H-O-M-E for $20 off. Hey, I'm Sarah. When planning our home birth, my husband Matthew and I were really frustrated by the lack of empowering and honest home birth resources. So we created this podcast to start a new conversation for moms and families like us. This is Doing It At Home. Hey everyone, welcome to the Doing It At Home podcast. Okay, this is going to be a relatively short intro just because I'm that excited for you to jump into the interview We interview Dr. Sarah Buckley, and if you don't know who she is, Google her right now, and then you will see how big of a deal this is and why we're so excited about it. Dr. Sarah Buckley wrote the best-selling book, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, and this was actually one of the first books I read after becoming pregnant, and it was a huge influence on the rest of our pregnancy and really got the wheels turning on our decision to go with home birth. And she is just a well of knowledge, has so much experience, is herself a mother of four home birth children. And I, I just can't say any, I can't say any more just because she's that great. And the interview says it itself. So here it is, our interview with Dr. Sarah Buckley. Greetings, Dr. Sarah. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here from the other side of the world, down under in Australia. Yes, Yes, other side of the world. Well, we are so excited. Um, As we were talking earlier in our conversation, we just we're we can't wait to get into all these awesome topics with you and hear more from you. I know our listeners are probably really excited. Um, I am just very honored uh, that you would take out time for us. Um, You've been a huge inspiration for me in our process of pregnancy and birth. And it's just, 
it's great. It's it's kind of like a little a little dream come true to be able to talk <laughs> to you honestly. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, totally. Great. Um, you know what really struck me about you and your message when I first learned of you uh, in watching watching the Happy Healthy Child DVD series, which we'll include a link to in this show, but that's where I, I learned of you. What really struck me was your seamless integration of seemingly two differing philosophies around birth, the the medical mindset and training um, that usually comes with things like intervention and assistance, but then also a more natural, holistic approach to the process. But yet you you kind of blend them so well in your approach and your messaging. And, you know, in our experience, it's it hasn't been very common for us to meet people like that, to meet, for instance, a medical doctor who is pro home birth even. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just wondering how, how that works for you. Cause on the surface it might seem like, well, shouldn't you not really be for home birth? Yeah. Well, I guess that the most influential, I've always been kind of interested in alternatives or seeing behind, um, um, you know, what, what's happening. And, and that's really a useful perspective to take in medicine because there's a lot, but lot, happens behind um, what you see up front, you know, in a whole lot of areas. But in relation to birth, I was always interested in it. My dad was actually an obstetrician. Mm. Um, and so I grew up with kind of babies and delivering and four-thirds in the kitchen drawer and <laughs> stuff like that. And my, and my grandfather was actually um, attended women in birth as well on horseback, you know, in those days in the wow. 1920s to 40s. So it was kind of in my blood, I guess. But, you know, the the most influential thing um, for me was the births of my own baby. So that's really where I learned to integrate that kind of scientific biological perspective with my own kind of embodied experience. And I actually had to do some work for that because, as you say, the kind of the usual medical approach and the usual medical beliefs around birth is that it's kind of an accident waiting to happen and women's bodies are intrinsically flawed and need all this assistance. But that wasn't the experience I had in my own body. So I went out and sought, you know, how did this happen? Like, how did this, how was it so different to what I'd seen, to what I'd learned? And so I um, sought out people like Michelle O'Donnell, who's been a great mentor to me, and Sheila Kitzinger. Um, and, and, and there's an increasing number now of people that are integrating that. And um, a great, actually, more and more doctors having home births as well. And, you know, to be honest, it's a great choice if you're in a medical or health profession because, you know, when you go into hospital, that kind of background and this is what I saw in my training you tend to get either kind of undertreated or kind of ignored because people are a little embarrassed and don't know how to approach you or otherwise you get overtreated. and both of those things have happened in my own family so you know in lots of ways it was actually a very logical choice to choose a home birth for um for myself as a medical professional and my partner is um, a medical professional as well Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Mm. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I just speaking for the states, you know, in our experience here, there does tend to be a lot of resistance around home birth. You know, yeah. it doesn't seem to be the first or maybe even the second choice when you're thinking about your birth experience. Um, given that, what do you think, how, how can we create more openness and more acceptance around home birth and what you refer to as normal birth? You know, given everything that you just said, like through your own experience, how can we create more of that sort of mindset? Well, I think, I mean, um, what I talk about, you know, the, the new catchphrase is, is physiological birth, you know, which is kind of healthy birth according to how our bodies are designed to work. So there is a continuum in that. There's you know, maximum kind of interventions or maximum medical things like free labor cesarean, and then there's minimal, you know, maximum physiology, minimum intervention at the other scale. And that's one of the great values of home birth is if you choose to have a home birth, whether or not you end up having your baby at home, just making that choice puts you down that other end of the continuum, your chance of having cesarean mm. um, in particular is usually under 10% compared to over 30%. Um, even higher in some countries. You know, your chance of having other interventions is much lower. Your chance of having a healthy physiological birth that allows all of your own biology, including your hormones, to flow optimally, which increases, as I say, ease, pleasure, and safety for you when your baby is maximized by home birth. But the problem is we've kind of separated these things out. We've called this, you know, hospital birth, we've called this birth center, we've called this home. But really from our body's perspective, it's a continuum. And I think the ideal model is to actually remove or even those labels like home birth and for women to have a situation where they have, you know, they start off with labor at home and their caregiver comes and if they want to stay at home they can and there are some models of care like that in the Netherlands and New Zealand there's some options like that here in Australia I'm not sure if that's the case in America I think the home birth and hospital practitioners are a little more separate but really I think you know home birth is maximum physiology and I think that's the approach to take how can we max the physiology for low-risk mothers and babies because we know that that's safe in a, in a situation with um, well-trained professionals and, you know, backup for the mothers and babies who need it. You know, I really like the, the way that you just described that because um, you're accurate in saying that here in the States, at least from what Sarah and I have experienced, there is a separation. You know, you have hospital birth, you have birth center birth, and you have home birth. And those are really the, the three options that came up most frequently for us. Um, but we have interviewed moms who had situations where, you know, they could choose to labor at home and if they wanted to transfer somewhere else in, in the middle of their labor, they had options. And what it makes me think of is a quote um, from, from your, your book that I want to read real quick because it really is about, you know, the decision-making. And um, the quote is, a woman's satisfaction with her birth experience is related more to her involvement in decision-making than to the outcome. And that really touched Sarah and I yeah. because, yeah, because we, we talk about this on, on this podcast. You know, it is um, a podcast geared around home birth, but we, we really want to simply empower women and empower families and let them know that they have choice. And so 
that was a big thing that resonated with us and your messaging. Yeah, thanks for that, Matthew. That's actually a reference quote, I think, in my book, because that's what the studies say as well, is it's not actually what happens, it's the, the involvement the woman has, the way she was treated by her caregivers. So um, it goes back to a bit what I said before, like choosing to have a low technology model of care is a great start because you're also likely to get caregivers going to support your low technology model of care. And those caregivers do, we know from research, tend to help women to make more informed choices. They tend to actually follow the medical evidence more than um, hospital-based caregivers. Again, there's research about that. So, you know, it's really about having the information you need to make the choices that are right for you. And I don't think there's any one size fits all in labor and birth, um, particularly you know, when I look about the, the biology of birth, the hormones of labor and birth, that really emphasizes how important it is that women labor and birth where they feel safe. And for some women, or for most women, that's kind of a familiar place. That's like a mammalian heritage that all mammals seek a safe, familiar place to give birth, usually with familiar people individuals around them um, but for some women you know that doesn't they, they don't feel safe at home and they'd rather be in hospital they feel like that's somewhere they can relax more because they know that if something happens you know everything's there at the drop of a hat which has its pros and cons of course but you know I don't think we should be telling anyone where they should give birth but we should be as you say giving people choices and really as I said an ideal situation is to give women choices right up to that moment when they give birth that they can move if they want to or not move if they want to and um, yeah. you know when you're at home and you're, you're in labor you know the idea of hopping in a car <laughs> in the middle of uh, strong contractions is not very appealing so it probably goes a little that way I, I imagine if we get the choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, I'm curious if it's this way in Australia. You know, you mentioned women having the information that they need. Like, one of the things that, that we've experienced is we really had to research. Like, we really had to go and search for information about out-of-hospital birth in order to just be exposed to the different options. Is there more openness to out-of-hospital birth in Australia? Uh, I think it's fairly similar um, in the end. I think that home birth is not, it's not very common. It's about half of 1% at the moment. A lot of those figures are probably underreported. But what we're developing more in Australia is more midwifery care. So you know, the state pays or subsidizes a midwife to take care of you and she can look after you at home or in hospital. And that's a model where if you have your midwife come to you at home in labor, you can choose to stay at home or you can choose to go to hospital. Um, there are There is more financial cost or you could say disincentive to have your baby at home in Australia. Going to hospital, um, it's totally free. We have a universal healthcare system where anyone can go to a public hospital and have their baby for no cost at all. Whereas if you have your baby at home, there's an out-of-pocket cost above what mm. um, yeah, uh, you know that you pay to your midwife as well. So it's kind of ironic because home birth is the cheapest choice, you know, yeah. but in, 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 because it's so low technology, but it's actually the most expensive choice in Australia. So we don't. It's not a very kind of enlightened. Um, home birth system here, but we are getting better with offering midwifery models of care, which is kind of a way of women having options to give birth at home. So is that is that how, what you see as a as a, a way to bring about more awareness? Is offering that midwifery care and allowing you know women to be treated and and seen in their homes? Yeah, I think it's an ideal model of care, and as I said, the best. Some models in Australia we have that. Um, in New Zealand, that's how the midwives work, and in, in um, 
in the Netherlands, that's how the midwives work as well. So I think that is ideal. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're in that situation, you want to research your home birth to decide if you really do want to stay, you want to be yeah. confident in your midwives, etc. So, you know, it doesn't mean you don't do the research, but it does mean that you have choices. Make the choices that are right for you in that particular situation because you might have noticed this, but you don't really know how life is going to go until you get into it, even no matter how many babies you have, every time's different. And yeah. what you're going to want, who you're going to want there, like the more flexibility you have in those situations the better it is the more you can be responsive to what's happening like you know you might have a labor where you want lots of people there you might have a labor where you want to be totally by yourself and it's a little hard to predict so the ideal situation is really to have to be woman-centered for the woman's the center of the decision making right up to um, when she when she gives birth and later and I just want to mention something else from what you said Matthew you know and all that research that you do that's great preparation for parenting isn't it you know so that you know you know you know that you need to, you need to look beyond you know conventional information information to make the choices that are right for you and your family so well done (laughs) was it um was it your experience with your four home births that you know you wanted something different in each in in each of those births and you know you wanted different people there or you know did they kind of follow a similar pattern for you yeah well they were they were quite different experiences with giving birth but I think generally I could say that I'm not a social birther and, and this is generally true most women in labor do want to have privacy, you know. Um, I, I like the way Anna Mae Gaskin explains it. There's the sphincter law. You know, you've got to have privacy to relax your sphincters. You've got to feel safe in that setting. And for most women in our culture, most Western women, then fewer people is better. But there certainly are cultures like, for example, um, the Aboriginal culture in Australia and some of the Lebanese women, you know, they feel safe when they've got all their family around them. And, um, you know, so it really is an individual thing. But I think myself, I prefer to be a private birther. Um, although, you know, when I, when I came to give birth, it was beautiful to have my family there at kind of at the moment of birth. And, yeah. you know, again, sometimes you, you just don't know, but kind of it's what women are drawn to. And it's a like pretty typical first time mum is you know finding the smallest room in a house which is sometimes the bathroom or the toilet to find the, the most private space that they can find and again you know we want to give women a situation where they can have that privacy and safety and not be kind of constantly surveyed not be constantly checked that is going to kind of in, kind of um, elevate their stress hormones and they're not feeling you know this is what I say is the core requirements for birth and all mammals is to be private safe and unobserved and those things you can feel private safe and unobserved with someone taking care of you you don't have to go to a cave but you know that's really respecting our own mammalian biology and you know that enacts itself through the hormonal physiology of labor if we're not feeling private safe and unobserved our stress hormones go up and that makes labor um slow down or stop you know like women have had that experience of laboring at home and then as we described having to get in the car to go to hospital and they arrive in hospital and everything stops because it's an unfamiliar setting you're not feeling private safe and unobserved and usually you've got to you know settle in and hopefully with some support to get to that kind of physiology of being private safe and unobserved your stress hormone levels go down before labor can start again so it's really basic to ourselves as mammals you know because the way i describe it it's like you know all our mammalian forebears our our foremothers giving birth in the wild and you know it's kind of vulnerable out there when you're in labor you can't really mount a fight or flight defense and you can't you know you're very vulnerable you're making strange smells strange noises Mm -hmm. you know this baby that comes out that is very um 
attractive to any predators. So, you know, it's absolutely critical, you know, for all mammals, including us, and through our millions of years of mammalian evolution, that we have this private, safe, and unobserved space and feeling in labor. Yeah, and if we have the sense that we're being watched, that kind of, you know, that that alerts us. That that sets mm-hmm. that increases our our stress hormones. What's going on here? Like, is this really a safe place? It's our kind of primal instinct. It's our monkey. You know, let your monkey do what they say in labor. You know, it is a kind of a very much an animal experience. I don't know if that was your experience with it, um, Sarah, but you know, you kind of this animalistic part takes hold, and you you completely in your instincts because that's what's had us give birth successfully for millions of years of mammalian evolution. Yes, 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 yes. And I think I was able to experience all of that uh, freely and openly and um, with without fear because of the environment that was set up and because of the choices that we made to bring us to our birthing experience. Um, none of that felt inhibited. And so I think that's what really maximized my my experience of it. Yeah, and you know, and I, and I can say from the, a partner's perspective, Seeing you like that, Sarah, you know, seeing you as just the the, the raw, like your animalistic <laughs> beauty in labor and birthing was amazing. Mm. And so for partners out there listening, it's a life changing experience to see your partner just 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 be in that way. Yeah, it's a primal force of nature, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It really mm. is. Yeah, and I, I love that you mentioned that and you you know, you talked about the hormones and this, you know, this animalistic biological thing that that comes out in birth really being a a huge example and opportunity to witness that a lot of other things we do in our lives you may not be able to see that you know as we go about our daily lives uh and your your book gentle birth gentle mothering really inspired me in our journey to planning and creating our birth vision uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I first learned of you after watching the incredible DVD series of Happy Healthy Child um, and was just, just really taken by you and your everything you had to say. And your book and hypnobirthing was actually the only thing I did as far as outside resources because I, I could have a tendency to, to really go in and read too many books <laughs> to yeah, the point yeah. of creating unnecessary um, thought processes. But your book, I mean, I used to sit in the tub at night and read your book and that would be, you know, my time. And when I first started reading it at the beginning of being pregnant, we were pretty much set on a hospital birth, working with an OB. Mm-hmm. And then in time, through the process of reading your book and having some conversations, some, some soul searching, you know, we eventually came to the home birth decision. And a lot of what your book did for me is created a, a very logical, very rationally based um, approach to to considering all all that was there all of the elements of it and I think that was helpful for me because I wasn't at a stage yet to feel emotionally pulled one way or the other but just seeing the science of it it made so much more sense to go with with home birth with with the route that we took um, and it, it allowed me to create a lot of trust within my body after having read all of the science and all of the the hormones and everything that you mentioned uh, so I, I want to talk more about that. Actually, I want to talk about the hormone cocktail, and I'd love for you to to break it down for um, for listeners. 
Yeah, so as I say, during labor and birth, Mother Nature gives us this, what I call ecstatic hormonal cocktail. And all of these hormones enhance ease for mother and baby, enhance pleasure for mother and baby, actually stimulate the pleasure and reward centers in the brain, and also enhance safety for mother and baby. And those things are critical. And it's not something we have to go out of our way to do. It's exactly as we were talking about. It naturally unfolds in our body when we're in the right circumstances. And as uh, listeners have probably got the right circumstances, is wherever you feel private, safe, and unobserved. You know, and so the conversation we were just having, I want to add that, you know, this hormonal orchestration of labor and birth and of having a baby is almost identical to the hormonal orchestration of making a baby. Mm. And, you know, we need the same conditions, right? So that's quite a good mm. lens through which to consider your labor plans. Is this somewhere where I could actually make a baby? And if it is, your chance of, you know, switching on and having a uh, seamless or an easy, I shouldn't use the word easy, but, you know, a um, fully biological hormonal orchestration is much higher you know, when you're feeling, when you're in those kind of conditions. So that's kind of the prerequisite, you could say, for all of the hormones to unfold optimally. So I talk about four hormone systems. There's many, many hormone systems. And, you know, the more you look at it, <laughs> the less you, the more, you know, we don't understand a lot about these hormones, how they work, what influences them. Um, there's a lot of research happening at the moment in that area, which I'm um, honored to be part of. So um, oxytocin, probably the most famous one, and it's a great illustration of everything I've talked about because, you know, oxytocin, the, the whole system is what we call upregulated or kind of activated in the lead up to labor so that when the, the spontaneous or physiological onset of labor happens, then the mother's body is optimally sensitive to oxytocin. So the oxytocin she releases from her brain will give her strong, efficient contractions, will maximize the efficiency of her labor, will give her nice, strong contractions afterwards to prevent bleeding as well. So the physiologic onset of labor is really important so that your body's ready and your baby's body's ready. Um, we don't actually know what causes a physiologic onset of labor. I'd get a Nobel Prize if I could tell you that. <laughs> it's mysterious. <laughs> if we knew that, right, we could do a lot of things to help women who go into premature labor. But we, we don't actually know. But we do know that it's probably triggered by the baby's readiness. Mm. And then it gets coordinated between the baby and the mother through hormones that are produced by the placenta. And part of those hormones is increasing the mother's estrogen, which increases the oxytocin system and the oxytocin receptors, which is how the oxytocin works in her body and then as labor goes on she's releasing pulses of oxytocin from her brain causing these rhythmic contractions of labor which get stronger and stronger and closer and closer together more and more able to push the baby out and then she gets a big surge of oxytocin towards the end that helps her to birth quickly and easily she's got that big surge as she scoops her baby up holds her baby in her arms her body's completely um, prepared for that first meeting with her baby, she's um, calm, connected. She's rewarded. Her reward and pleasure centers are switched on. Her skin is very sensitive so that as the baby first contacts her skin, um, skin to skin, the touch of her newborn stimulates the release of more oxytocin, which repairs her to breastfeed, which contracts up her uterus. It calms her down. And, and similarly, it calms the baby down as well. So all of those things is kind of um, Mother Nature's superb design, as I call it, um, for mothers and babies. And the baby has their own hormonal system as well. The baby's releasing oxytocin in labor. It helps with pain relief for both mother and baby, switches on the parasympathetic, the calm and connection system, switches off 
the stress system as far as possible in labour. Uh, labour is a stressful event for the baby, right? Um, but then, you know, it's designed that the baby comes out in that same situation, calm, connected, ready to begin this, as Michelle Adon calls it, great love affair between mother and baby. That is the basis of species survival. We're all here because mothers and babies of all species literally fall in love with each other. They're rewarded by each other's presence such that the baby seeks the mother and doesn't kind of wander off and get killed by a predator and the mother seeks the baby such that she doesn't leave the baby alone to be vulnerable to predators so that's the switching on of the reward and pleasure centers that um that motivates mammalian mothers to give that dedicated care to their babies you know like elephants and mice and and cats they don't go to prenatal classes to learn how to take care of their babies it all, all happens through these hormones of labor and birth switching on these instinctive mothering behaviors which is includes the reward and pleasure centers so i don't know if you experienced this um and i hope some of your listeners have as well but that moment after birth is just can be totally ecstatic that's why i call it ecstatic birth can be blissful euphoric you know fulfilling you know, say it's like Mother Nature patting him on the back, saying you've done a good job. Do more of it. You know, have more babies, and, and that's the, that's the reward. That's that's the, that's Mother Nature's superb design. So that birth is a pleasant, you know, a, a fulfilling, a positive experience. And in fact, oxytocin actually kind of softens the memories of the labour pain. So that um, that helps the mother as oh, well wow. to kind of forget. Right, <laughs> do it again. <laughs> do it again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's just one of the hormone systems: is beta endorphins. There's adrenaline, noradrenaline, there's prolactin, all working together in similar ways to optimize ease, pleasure, and safety for mothers and babies with that pre-labor preparations as well. That's really important to know that, you know. Um, sometimes I say that, um, you know, uh, when I do share this in a presentation, I show a picture of um, William and Kate getting married, you know, the, the Prince and Princess of England <laughs> getting married. And I say, imagine if they turned up at Westminster Cathedral two weeks before the planned date and expected everything to happen. It wouldn't be the same because all the preparations wouldn't have happened. And it's exactly the same in labour and birth. If we um, if we schedule labour and birth by induction, by pre-labour cesarean, there's, there's going to be a gap in the preparations for the mother and for the baby. And some of that explains the kind of problems that particularly cesarean babies can have because they haven't had that full hormonal preparation and um, that optimizes the transition to life outside the womb. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wow. And what are some of the, the impacts that can show up during labor and then beyond as a result of kind of intervening with that, that natural process of those hormones? 
Yeah, so there's a whole lot of implications for this and some of which we've studied and a lot of which we haven't. Uh, like, for example, what happens if you're induced, do you still get the the um, reward and pleasure that I'm talking about because you know those brain reward and pleasure centers are probably not maximally ready um, after an induction, after a pre-labor caesarean. Uh, we know that some interventions do interfere, you know, measurably with the hormones of labor and birth. In particular, I want to mention epidurals because we talked a lot about oxytocin. And oxytocin is kind of fueled through the processes of labor and birth. I call it the snowball of labor. You know, you might have noticed this labor starts small and gets bigger and bigger and becomes virtually unstoppable by the end, right? <laughs> and the reason it does that is because of these, you know, in, in biological terms, that positive feedback loops. So what's happening is the mother's uterus is contracting. That's causing sensations, and the sensations get fed up to her brain through a particular nerve pathway. And the brain receives this message or the uterus is contracting, and the brain responds by releasing oxytocin. And the brain releases oxytocin into the brain. I'll talk about that in a minute, but also back into the body. So that, that goes to the uterus and causes stronger contractions, and then there's stronger sensations. So it's this positive feedback loop. So the contractions get stronger and stronger and closer and closer together. But that whole um, positive feedback loop depends on the sensations. So what happens when we um, we um, knock out those sensations with an epidural? You know, it's so effective at reducing those sensations that that that, that the positive feedback loops get it gets interrupted. So the mother doesn't release so much oxytocin into her body, and then likely as yeah, she's going to need to have synthetic oxytocin because labour is going to fizzle out. But the other consequence is that in her brain, she's not releasing that same oxytocin. And I mentioned as we went through that oxytocin causes calm and connection, causes pain relief, switches on instinctive mothering behaviors, um, activates the pleasure and reward centers. So all of those things happen because we're releasing oxytocin into the brain. Yeah. But when the sensations are not there, that positive feedback loop is, um, is disrupted and the oxytocin in the brain is not released and that probably has even bigger consequences because the mother might not get that head of reward and pleasure um she's going to be at, on a, um, at a disadvantage in relation to bonding and finding her baby pleasurable it could interfere with the hormone release during breastfeeding in fact some studies have shown that that having an epidural interferes with the hormones that you release later on when you're breastfeeding um, which again are all those same pleasure and reward bonding hormones to bond you to your baby to reinforce caretaking behaviors right so the the lack of oxytocin from an epidural is probably very consequential and could have even longer term effects according to some of the research that's been done so these are things to consider i'm not saying any intervention is good or bad but everything has its benefits and risks and you want to really know what all those benefits and risks are before you sign up for that and also just going back to what we were talking about before you know if you really want to avoid things like epidurals and cesareans and inductions, you choose a model of care that um, that is low technology, uh, that's, that, that prioritizes and supports physiology and home birth is the one that's the most likely to do that. You know, all the home birth studies around the world show the lowest rates of cesarean, the lowest rates of all of those interventions with good outcomes for mothers and babies you know, in, um, in, in good healthcare systems. Mm. You know, it, it totally blows my mind how amazing the body is. You know, all those processes that just go off by themselves and, and how everything works and, and, you know, this this beautiful symphony. It's amazing. And I remember when our midwives started explaining how these different hormones worked and interacted and, you know, some of the positive feedback loops like you just mentioned. And just, you know, as 
as a guy, I mean, I guess I wasn't paying attention much in, in high school when they were teaching us this stuff because <laughs> it is so beautiful the way that it works. Yeah, yeah it's incredible, isn't it? Biology, yeah. it's incredible. And the thing is, all we you know, we don't actually have to do anything. It's a bit like growing your baby. It just yeah. happens. You, you, your job is to provide the circumstances to optimize it. So in pregnancy, to provide, to provide the nutrition, to provide the kind of relaxed, happy, you know, hormonal situation for your baby and same thing in labor and birth, to provide that basic requirements of feeling private, safe and unobserved. And that's kind of what it boils down to. And again, going back to that's why home birth is so ideal for optimizing physiology because almost by definition, the mother is going to feel more private, safe and unobserved at home. As I mentioned, it doesn't, not always, not 100%. Um, some women do feel more safe in hospital, but generally, you know, we feel those ways in, in familiar settings with familiar people because that's kind of part of our mammalian heritage as well. Hmm. We we talked a little bit earlier about some of the the resistance to to home birth to natural birth to trusting this this physiological process that the female body is designed to have and go through. Where do you think that that lack of confidence for the woman's body to do what it does? Where do you think that comes from, and why do you think it's become so pervasive? Well, I think it's really, it's a good question, Sarah. I think it's really multifactorial. Mm. I think that we live in a culture that doesn't. I mean, since probably the the age of enlightenment, we've kind of gone away from the body and into the mind. We've mm. kind of split the body and the mind up and we've made the body kind of secondary and less important. Mm. And that's quite a brutal thing to do to us as women because we're so such embodied creatures. There's so much happening in our bodies all the time, like our menstrual cycle. I mean, our bodies are just miraculous. You know, every day we're different. Every month we're different, you know, and then we can go through these incredible changes, as Matthew was saying, of pregnancy, of labor and birth. So, you know, to to, to um, decrease the, the, our relationship with our bodies is a difficult thing to do for a woman, and I think that influences us. And, you know, it's kind of the downside of feminism to some extent that we've gone, gone into these very kind of masculine intellectual areas of work where we can be in charge of things and make things happen with our mind. And it doesn't work like that in labor and birth. You know, you can't have a baby by sheer willpower, right? <laughs> so it's really how do we, you know, how do we learn, how do we relearn, you know, to relate to our bodies in a feminine way. So I think that's one aspect of it. I think another aspect of it is that, you know, and I know this from my own training in medicine. I mean, you go into medicine to do good for people. You know, you kind of, a lot of people are motivated to be that knight in shining armor coming and rescuing people. And, you know, if there's nothing to rescue in birth, you feel a bit kind of useless, really. Mm. <laughs> As obstetricians, it's a hard job to sit on your hands, you know, and not do anything. You kind of want to do something and contribute. And, you know, it can be part of our own self-esteem as well. So it's quite a different approach, you know, to a midwifery approach where the, the, the main thing you do is nothing. You know, you're holding that kind of feminine space for things to happen. So I think there's that aspect to it. Um, I think there's um, politics and money and power all involved in these things because it really is the most powerful thing in our culture, you know, giving birth. I mean, it's you can't replicate it. You know, I guess we can by cesarean, but, you know, that primal power of any female giving birth and creating new life. I mean, that's what we run on. That's the, the basis of our survival, you know, individually and collectively. And, you know, I think there's been a, you know, denigration of women's power that's spilled over into the birth room. And I think if women reclaim their power in birth, you know, it empowers our whole lives, right? It empowers us as mothers. It empowers us as women. It really fuels our fire. 
And that's, um, you know, maybe something that our culture isn't necessarily wanting as an endpoint of labor and birth. That's the kind of anthropological Robbie Davis Floyd birth as a, as a cultural rite of passage. You know, the, the culture's imprinting their own beliefs um, and values onto women at the point of birth. And, that, and the beliefs and values we're imprinting is that technology is superior to the body, you know, that we know better than you. So, you know, that's, uh, again, that's uh, quite a motivation to, to, towards a technological um, experience of childbirth if we can imprint those cultural beliefs. Yes, I, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, wow, all of that is, yes, I'm, I'm so much wisdom to be gleaned from that and so mm. many different things to look at, things I hadn't even thought about as far as our, our journey of home birth and our journey of birth, everything you just mentioned, I mean listeners pause that rewind listen again because yeah. that was amazing um what what do you see then for the future of of birth or what's the space that you hold for it that you would like to see you know in our culture well as i said there's so many factors that feed into birth because it is such a powerful event you know biologically socially culturally on every level so i think we need lots of action and lots of you know on lots of levels but my particular part of it is really what's the science underpinning it because i think that's a good approach to take certainly for care providers and as in your own experience it supports families as well to know that there's this good scientific underpinning of it so um, after i wrote my book i embarked on a long journey of writing um, really delving into the hormones of labor and birth um, and I was um, sponsored by an American group called Childbirth Connection, now part of the National Partnership for Women and Families, and I produced, um, we published a report at the beginning of 2015, and um, I'll give you the link so you can put it underneath this, but it's called Hormonal Physiology of Childbearing. So everything that I'm saying is referenced in that report. It's quite technical, it's quite long, but it's, um, it's a really great reference for all of the science um, behind what I'm saying. So there's that, um, such I encourage um, listeners to go there. Um, and also out of that, I'm now doing a PhD, so I'm privileged to be working with some of the kind of leaders in the world in, in these areas, um, with Kirsten Ubnas moberg is one of my PhD supervisors, who's the kind of guru of oxytocin and childbearing, so that's really fun. And, um, yeah, that's my, my next job is really to get some of this information into the peer-reviewed literature, into journals, and really get it under the noses of healthcare professionals. And, you know, obviously lots of other things need to happen. And one of the, you know, important things that need to happen is exactly what you guys have done, which is choosing, you know, these low-technology models of care and sharing it. And, you know, every time that we do that, we make it more okay for other people as well. So on the ground, you know, consumers or, as we say, producers mm -hmm. are a really critical part of this movement towards, you know, gentle, natural birth. Mm. Well, Sarah and I want to say thank you for the work that you do um, because, you know, as we were chatting before we hit record, you, you truly inspired us, um, you know, when Sarah got a, got a hold of your book, uh, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, it really shifted how she thought about herself and her body and those, those natural processes and really created the sense of trust in her that allowed her to be confident in choosing home birth. And so um, the work that you do is, is incredible on many, many levels. And, you know, you're doing such, so much to really give people opportunities to, uh, I think, to connect with themselves um, and to, you know, choose those experiences which are going to be the most powerful for them and their family. So, 
Sarah, thank you. Thank you very, very much for the work that you have done and continue to do. Thank you, Matthew. It's really a great pleasure and privilege to, you know, to be influential and support, you know, birthing mothers, babies, fathers and families and the healthcare providers that look after them. Mm. Right. I mean, when we can influence and empower the way that people enter the world, I mean, that's a pathway, that's a gateway to healing the world, I believe. You know, how you enter is is a pretty important experience and not just for you, but the people who facilitate that and if everyone feels more empowered and informed around that experience, I mean, it, it just, it, there's ripple effects to that. Yeah. 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 There's a beautiful woman who died in 2005 called Janine Pavati Baker. She was very influential to me and, uh, her phrase is healing birth heals the earth. Oh, I love that. You know, something just uh, popped in my mind. I have a, an interesting question for you. How do your children feel about their birth stories? Um, Sarah and I have talked about this with Maya, and we were wondering, like, I wonder how Maya's going to feel um, being probably one of, you know, few friends in her friends group who was born at home. So how do your children feel about their birth story and their birth experience? Yeah, well, we, you know, we had a tradition until they got old enough to make up their own mind about it of telling their birth stories every year on their birthday. So they were kind of oh, <laughs> embedded wow. in the birth stories, really. That was lovely. And, um, yeah, no, well, they know they were born at home. And it's interesting that some of them have chosen friends, like found friends that were born at home as well and been really kind of active around that and talked to their friends about birth and kind of been a bit shocked by the attitude of other people out there or the beliefs that other people have so they've kind of become well not really they're not advocates or zealots but they've become you know sources of information um, about birth for their for their friends and family um yeah and I think the other thing you know my kids have been lucky that they've been with each each other's births as well so they've had that own experience in their own body and then well the ones that can remember (laughs) you know that that's a great imprint as well so yeah I think I think you know you don't know how it's going to come out and you know, you've got to really trust your children to do what they're going to do with the experiences they've had. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're certainly positive about birth. Um, I'll just share a story that Maya told me. I don't know if you've ever had how, – how old is your daughter? Six months. Six months, all right. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, when they get a bit older, like between two and eight – they can often remember or they might spontaneously say something about their birth. Like mm. my son said when he was two, he said, me born myself water. Me go jump, jump. <laughs> it's funny. But, but my daughter, Maya, who was the last one, when she was about eight, we had this beautiful day. We went to the beach and we had an ice cream. We went to the movies and she said to me, you know, mum, that was the second best day of my life. And I said, oh, really, Maya? What was the best day? She said, the day I was born. Oh, wow. So we can really imprint that pleasure and reward, you know, in relation to birth rather than the fear that so many people have. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. That is. I think it's great. We both have daughters named Maya. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. Sarah, you mentioned a little bit of what you're working on right now with, you know, um, your studies and, and the PhD. What, is there anything else that you're currently working on or, or ways that people can get in touch with you and see what you're up to? You know, we'll include links to anything and everything that you have going on, but is there anything else you'd like to mention as far as what you're up to? 
Um, yeah, so I recommend people go to my website, which is sarahbuckley.com. And if you go to the subscribe page, um, you'll see two ebooks. And if you're interested in the kind of things I've been talking about, like the, the kind of detail of the hormones, I suggest that you sign up to the professional newsletter and you'll get an ebook called Ecstatic Birth Nature's Hormonal Blueprint for Labor, which is a fairly um, concise version of the kind of things I've been talking about that was first published in Mothering Magazine in 2002 and um, that's an updated version. There's also on the parents e-list you get a book called Pain and Labor, Your Hormones Are Your Helpers, which is a much more simple story. So sign up for one or both if you like, but I really recommend those resources. And on my newsletter list, I write regular blogs. I send regular newsletters, um, keeping up to date. I also have a Facebook page, which is Dr. Sarah Buckley. Um, so, yeah, I post um, hormone and birth-related things there as well. And we are just talking about before that my um, my children are quite activists. My oldest daughter's 26 now. And my second 23-year-old daughter has done a lot of climate activism with Greenpeace on lots of levels. So if you're interested in any of that, you can also um, follow me on my Sarah Buckley Sarah, um, uh, Facebook page as well. So I post lots of good politics and uh, climate activism on that one. Mm, that's awesome. And, and we're going to post links to everything that Dr. Sarah just mentioned and that will be on the uh, the in the show notes for this episode over at diahpodcast.com Dr. Sarah we're so grateful to you really I mean this is this has been an honor I know that this will impact inspire and educate a lot so many all of our listeners yeah. um, this is just the kind of stuff that you know they're they're hungry for I think there really is this hunger for for this like you said to to heal and to empower and to inform and things like this things like what you're doing you are showing up for your role exactly the way that you need to and the the part that you play is crucial and it is noticed and um, we're very grateful well, thank you. It's it's totally my pleasure. And, you know, thank you for giving this forum really to support other parents as well. That's a really important part of the whole um, matrix at the moment. Mm. Yes, yes. So thank you again, Dr. Sarah. We appreciate you and your work and the love that you show to mothers. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.